0: Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message as Pastor Joel goes into John chapter 2 as he continues his series, The Gospel According to John.
1: I'd like to start this morning. If you wouldn't mind, you could stand uh, with me. We'll be on John 2, beginning in verse 9. It's on page 834 in your pew Bible if you want to read along. John 2 and verse 9, um, just reading three of those verses. John 2, 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and he did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now, this the first of his signs, Jesus did in Canaan, of Galilee, and manifested His glory, and his disciples believed in Him. Let's stop right there. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we come to your word, we have all, there's just all this stuff going on and life and uh, summer and health. I'm just traveling. Uh, would you quiet our minds? For just the next few moments, that as we look at your word, we would be revived and refreshed, that we would see new things from you, things that challenge us, uh, things that shape us, that heal us, that encourage us. We would have eyes to see what you'd want us to see, that we have ears to hear, and that our hearts would be softened. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and have, have a seat. Uh, we're starting chapter two today, and the gospel according to John is actually divided very nicely into two, uh, two parts. So it's chapters two to 12, a lot of times commentators will say this is the book of signs, the book of signs. Uh, signs is the word that John uses, and we often think of miracles. Uh, they're signs, but they're pointing to something. The last half of the book, so 13 to 21, uh, is often called the book of glory or the book of passion. Uh, It's dealing a lot with that last week of Jesus' life as we follow uh, him to the cross and the resurrection. Uh, The book of signs and the book of uh, glory. Um, But before we get to those uh, two stories, we're going to see a story of Jesus changing the water to wine in the wedding. And then also the cleansing of the temple. I feel the need to, uh, to disclose a childhood story that I'm actually not very proud about this morning. Uh, it's a story that took place on a Sunday afternoon, I remember it very uh, clearly, because we were in a little small church, Grand Avenue Baptist Church in Ohio, uh, and we would often go over to uh, a family's house called the Paulings after church. Uh, the Paulings had three boys, just the same ages as our three boys, so Greg, Eric, and Andy were the same as me and my two brothers. Uh, they lived out in New Carlisle, Ohio, which was a very field area, corn fields and everything, they had about five acres and a little stream running through it. So we'd often go over there for lunch after, after church on Sunday. Uh, and what could go wrong with six boys out in the fields, right? Uh, often we would go to their little, little crook that they had going through there, and we'd catch frogs or, or snakes, though I didn't like the snakes. Uh, but this one time, we were all dressed up in our Sunday best, and, and at that time we had to wear ties uh, when we went to church. Uh, and we were all over at their house, come right over afterwards, and we were walking uh, around and they had just planted a garden and we were walking, the six of us, around uh, this garden. They had just been tilled and, and planted and the, it was just rain just a few days before. So it was an, this beautiful mud color of this garden and six boys in their Sunday best wondering what we could do. We were bored. Uh, and so you can imagine how this story goes. I mean, if you've had kids, or at least boys, you know. Uh, the first boy picks up a little mud, throws it at another boy, which you can't do that in boy world. If you get mud thrown on you, you you have to respond uh, to that. And so then the next boy picks up. Now, none of the... I wasn't guilty party. It was <laughs> apparently it was somebody else, obviously. Uh, they uh, pick up more mud. And the next thing you know, we had all six of us boys... In the mud, having the best time of our lives. Uh, I'm talking pigs in a pig's pen. We were like shoving mud down each other's clothes and in each other's ears and all over we were just just piled with mud and having the, the best time until Mrs. Pauling stepped out of her backyard and yelled, "Boys!" <laughs> and we knew at that instant, we're in so much trouble. When we heard her call, we knew there is no... That we, we're in the middle of a field. There is nowhere to hide. We were caught. Uh, there's no way we could have like even snuck into... The, can you imagine a bunch of six boys sneaking into a house to like get mud that was just caked on? There was just nowhere to hide. We were caught. And in that moment with nowhere to go and being caught, we, we knew we needed one to be cleaned up and two to be forgiven. Uh, we were caught, and we needed to be f- cleaned and forgiven. Well, in the same way that we had been caught in that mud, we're going to see two stories today of people being caught. Uh, caught with, without, without wine, and there's nothing they could do or nowhere they could go, and, and then caught in the temple uh, selling things they, they shouldn't. There, there, we're going to see stories of like the shame and embarrassment and sin and mud on the faces, and then we're going to see how Jesus offers hope of forgiveness and cleansing. And you might be here uh, this morning with some dirt in your past. Uh, may, maybe you have done something and maybe you've been caught. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're still trying to, to hide it or put it in your pockets so that no one knows uh, the bad things that you've done. And, and you're here this morning going, boy, how can I be forgiven? How can I be clean? What what can purify you redeem your past? What can make you whole and free and forgiven again? Well, this brings us back to our text as John places these two stories in John 2 uh, back to back back, uh, of people that are really caught in this in this moment of like there's nowhere to go. At At this wedding, they have all these people over and they've run out of wine. At the temple, it's the Passover, the biggest of the feast days, and they're doing bad things in, in the temple. Now John sees both of these stories, and he's going to craft them together, put them together. The, both of them are going to serve as signs for us, S- signs that point to something in the future, uh, signs that can bring hope through the blood and the body of Christ and in his death and resurrection. We'll see that the only the blood and body of Jesus can forgive and cleanse. That's where, that's where the signs will point us this morning. So let's look at the first story. It's of a wedding and it's the turning of water into wine. You've probably read it before. You probably know it. Uh, I'm going to ask that let's just come at it again and, and read it again in a slow way and we'll, we'll uh, draw some observations out of, out of there. So John 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, And said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let's, let's stop right there. Uh, I just wanna look for a few moments to consider what's happening at this wedding, and then I wanna look at what is the sign that he's talking about, the first of his sign. What's happening at the wedding, and then what is the sign that he is he's giving? So what's happening at the wedding? Well, we see right at the beginning; it's the uh, the third day of the wedding, and he just leaves it out there. He tells us it's the third uh, day. The third day has a lot of implications and meanings in the gospel, but he doesn't even explain it. He almost like leaves it as like a little uh, breadcrumb for you to, to to pick up and follow along. Uh, we don't know who's getting married. Uh, we have no idea the bride or or the groom. They're they're nameless, uh, and he jumps right through like the ceremony all the way to. The third day, so the wedding really serves as like this backdrop of what's going to happen. The, the backdrop of the of the tension. So we focus right in on the on the third day, and the problem is that there's no wine. Which doesn't seem like a huge deal for us, but it for that time it's like, well, what are we supposed to do now? Is the is the wedding going to come to to an end? Uh, Jesus' mother then comes to him and, and just makes this statement, they've run out of wine. I've thought of it often as like when, uh, if you invite somebody over to your house or another family over to your house, and and, and you're gonna say, hey, come over for lunch to our house, and there's six of you, but we've only got like five seats at our table. And so there's one person that you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that's a little embarrassing, Or, or you don't have enough plate settings. We have forks for everybody, but three people can't use forks. Or, or you don't have enough food where you dish it out for everyone and you don't have enough food. It would be that kind of embarrassing, like, oh, no, we need, we need to do something. So, so Jesus' mother sees this coming. They're, they're running out of wine. This is embarrassing. This is going to be bad. The party's going to end. Like it, no one's going to leave satisfied. It's going to be like a bad reputation in the, in the town. And Jesus' response, though, is very interesting. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Woman, what does that have to do with me? Now, now this woman that he says, don't don't think of it like as a derogatory term. This is a sign of respect or title. Uh, He he knows who she is, and and he calls her uh, woman. And in fact, John uses uh, Jesus' mother in a very strategic way in the gospel. Uh, she shows up here, right, at the very first sign, and, and then she's just gone. Like, we don't even know what happens to her at the wedding. We, it doesn't even say, and then Jesus' mother was very happy because they had lots of wine. And we, we don't even know, only woman, my hour hasn't come yet. And the next time we see the mother of Jesus is at the foot of the cross, when Jesus looks to her and says, woman. Uh, John's gospel, the way he's writing it, he's connecting these two these two stories, so that we we see the witness and presence of Jesus' mother there at the turning of water to wine and at at the cross, he he links them uh, together. He he says, "My hour has not yet come." And you think, "The hour? What hour is that?" Well, that's another breadcrumb that John is leaving us. Is, is he'll trace this theme of hour all through the book, the time. There is the specific time, the time of his glorification, the time of his, his death and resurrection, there's a specific time that he's waiting for to redeem all of humanity. But he says it here, hey, we got no wine. My hour isn't here yet. And you even like, uh, what does the hour of Jesus' death, if you follow through, what does the hour of Jesus' death have anything to do with no, being no wine at a wedding? Like it's an odd response. Hey, we got no wine. I'm not going to be crucified yet. And you're like, well, what, what are those what do those have to do with each other? Why is Jesus' response in that way? And that actually points to the sign. He says, this is the first of his signs that he's doing. He's giving us a sign that's pointing us to the reality of what's going to happen in the future. It's, it's only a symbol. It's going, hey, look here. This is the meaning of it, but this isn't the reality of it. We've got to keep keep going. It's a, a symbol that points to something. A greater reality. So what's, what's the sign? What is the sign, this first sign that John gives? Well, uh, Jesus tells the servants, hey, go, f- go fill these, these jars that were for purification. Six of them, between 20 and 30 gallons apiece. That's, that's 120, 180 gallons of, of water. So I don't know uh, how long that would have taken to, to fill. Uh, I don't know how many servants they had or how big the jars were that they were doing, but that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of work, a lot of trips. And, and I wonder, as they're filling up these purification jars, that they're like, but I thought the problem was that we didn't have any wine. Uh, why, are, why are we putting them all in these purification jars? See, see these jars, when people would come to a wedding or somebody's house in that time, they would wear sandals and their hands would be dirty, their feet would be dirty, and in order to come in, they would wa- their servants would wash them, wash their feet and their hands from these purification jars, so that they could join the party, they wouldn't bring the dirt and the filth in that they would be, they would be cleansed, they'd be purified uh, in and, and, and so they know this this ritual. Uh, And Jesus, he could have just, there's there's no wine. He could have just gone, well, see that pitcher over there? Yeah, pour it out a little bit. Yeah, keep pouring. You see, it doesn't run out just like the widow's oil. He could have done that. uh, Just keep pouring. Isn't that cool? But he doesn't. He says, uh, those purification jars with the water, they're empty, and I want you to fill them because there's a sign that I want to show you. I want you to connect. I want you to connect these things. See, this water that would purify uh, the outside couldn't do anything with the heart of someone. Couldn't do anything with the, the shame, the, the guilt, the brokenness in, inside. It, it could only do the, uh, the outside. And so no matter how often you wash, you'd get dirty again and you'd have to wash again. Every day they would have to come and, and wash but once these jars are full, Jesus tells the servant, now I want you to dip into these jars, the water that purifies the outside, and take it to the master of the ceremony. And he, he drinks it. He's like, whoa, this is like the best wine I've ever had in my life. Where in the world did this come from? And I can almost, I can almost see the, the servants like, where did this wine come from? Well... It's a bit of a story. You see, we, we filled up these purification jars, you know, that we washed everyone's hands and feet on the way. And we filled those up again because they had gotten down because people had come and gone with them from the wedding. Uh, we filled them up and then Jesus told us to drip in there. And he transformed the water that was in those purification jars uh, to, to wine. You, you now have 180 gallons of, of wine. Uh, which would have been like that's amazing but i often wonder like the master of the ceremony i wonder if he was like yeah but what happens when somebody comes in with dirty feet right all of our purification water the ritual for purification that's gone like so somebody comes in dirty and what are the, what are the servants supposed to do here's a glass of wine it's a sign it's, it's starting to, to turn our, our heads a little bit. The, the sign of like, yeah, you could wash your feet over and over and over again, and you'll never get clean. Or, or you can take this glass of wine and, and, and drink it so that it goes in, inside of you. It, it's almost like uh, he takes what is weak, what, what couldn't truly purify, and he transforms it into something that will in the future, ultimately satisfy. The next time we see a glass of wine in the Gospel of John is at the Last Supper when Jesus says, See this? See this wine? This represents my blood. Poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins that can purify you. Not the dirt from your body that can purify your, your heart. John, I think, I think he was meditating on this a long time because in his letter later on, in 1 John 1 and verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see the sign? This transformation of water to wine. Jesus takes this ritual that cleans only the outside, that makes you look really good on a Sunday with nice clothes, and changes it to something that you drink inside of you, that changes like your inside. Water only washes the dirt. Blood will transform your life. The water never satisfied. But you can be forgiven and cleaned by the blood of Jesus as a gift. So uh, really the challenge is for all of us, we can try and clean ourselves up. The, all the steps we want to go through, we want to make sure we look nice, we'll get new clothes, we'll uh, try everything we can to get our, fix ourselves, and we're always going to run short, we're going to be frustrated, never satisfied. And Jesus says, well, let me offer you this cup of wine that's representative of my blood, that's the only thing that can truly purify and cleanse you. Story one, water to wine. Now, now let's consider the second story. This is the story of the cleansing of the temple, uh, which in the other Gospels is placed in different place, in different uh, a different area uh, and chronologically, but John places it right here and I, I don't want to get into like which one's right or is it too cleansing or any of that. I just want to point out that John places both of these together, inspired by the Holy Spirit to go both of these need to be together and they need to, people need to think about these things. Together, the cleansing of the temple. Uh, so it seems like left field, right field. Uh, you're having this like um, beautiful ceremony, and then all of a sudden, this condemning uh, cleansing of the temple. Uh, but John puts those together so that we'll see them together. So verse thirteen, uh, the Passover of the Jews. Elijah, can we get that? There we go. Verse thirteen, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me from the Psalms. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, well, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered Oh, that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's stop right there again. They, they look back once Jesus is resurrected and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. So John puts these two stories back to back. Uh, John's told us that there's lots of stories. In fact, there's so many stories you couldn't even contain all of them, but yet in inspiration of the Spirit moves him to write this story right after the water into wine. So, so what's happening at the temple and what's, what's the sign in this one? What's happening at the temple? Well he tells us it's the Passover. This is one of the great Jewish festivals that they celebrate every year. Uh, People come in from all over. They say that Jerusalem would swell up to a couple million people in this little town. Uh, All there to focus on one thing, to bring the sacrifice. Uh, The sacrifice of a lamb. But if you couldn't uh, afford a lamb, then uh, some other sacrifice down to like a bird. Uh, Some sacrifice was at the center of the whole uh, festival. So over the years i'm sure it wasn't uh explicit at the beginning, but over years people would come from far away with no animals uh, but how could they celebrate the Passover with no sacrifice and, and so then people started saying well i got an, I got an extra sheep here i I'll, I'll sell it I'll sell it to you say so, okay how much you how much you want for it It's like, okay well, how about this well, i don't I don't have your kind of money Well, go to the money changers get to change of money and then come." come back. And so they would do all this so that people could finally sacrifice on the Passover. What's the, what's the center of the, of the Passover? If you didn't have a sacrifice for Passover, why would you even be in Jerusalem? It's the center of everything. And as people began to do that, oh, you want to give me so much for my lamb? Well, how much will you give me for your your lamb? Well, he's going to give me a little bit more. So I'm going to go with him and then all of a sudden you see uh, other people more and more people bringing in birds and and rams and, and lambs and 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 you can just see it it just it just happens they're outside of the temple doing these things when when all of a sudden someone goes you know if I was a little bit closer in I think I'd get some more business so they wake up early and they get a little bit closer to the temple and then the, the next year they're like man that was a great spot I'm just going to go a little bit further closer in than where he is, and I'm gonna try and you know, get his business. And over the years, all of a sudden, uh, the first person goes into the court of Gentiles, into the temple itself, and sets up a little table and a cloth on the ground. Hey, animals to sacrifice. And he sells all of his animals. And the next person goes, man, I, I, maybe I just need to be in closer. I mean, because you know as a business or real estate, The main thing is location, 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 right? And so more and more people over the years start filling the court of Gentiles with these uh, cloths on the ground, with these cages of animals to to sell the animals because people need to sacrifice. So there in the temple court, the, the place that was supposed to be for reverence and awe and worship and prayer, all of a sudden had become this marketplace downtown on a Saturday with animals everywhere, excrement everywhere, people yelling and muddy footprints, and the temple court was disgusting. But not just outwardly, people began to get greedy and extort people. They'd bring their money in and go, No, you can't, you got to exchange that. So the exchange person would make a little money. And then they would say, Oh, well, if you need a sacrifice, because it's all there is, I know how much this is worth. You got to give me more and more money. And so all of a sudden, you could see that the temple court is just, it's this dirty place inside and out. And then Jesus comes in, Boys! And they're caught. In their greed, in their extortion of other people, this den of thieves, the muddy footprints, all the trappings of the animals all over the place. There's poo here and there. It's just disgusting, and it needs cleansing. But not just cleansing on the outside, a cleansing of the heart. So Jesus, who goes there, says, zeal for my Father's house has consumed me. But but don't think that Jesus, like, he just tripped it, and he's like just maniac road rage guy who's just going off the cuff. He, he sees what's happening and he stops and he sits down and he makes a whip. Like he gets some cords together and he ties off the end and he braids it. And he's sitting there going, I think just grieved. This is not at all like it should be. He, he makes this whip, calculated, tied, and then he drives off everyone, all this business. He says, come on guys. Don't you know the scriptures? Don't you know the Psalms? This should be a house of prayer. And once all those tables are overturned, and I think it's even probably more of a mess than even when it was before, he, he, Jesus is standing there alone with a whip in his hands. And the Jews, like these leaders, come up and they ask him, What's your sign? Like, Can you give me a sign for what? I don't even know what, like, what? What's your sign? Like, what do you, what do you want? Like, what, what's the sign that, you, that you're doing all this? And then Jesus responds by taking the temple mount, this, this image of the place that should be sacred, where, where God himself will dwell with humanity. Uh, he takes this temple where heaven and earth uh, come together, and he says, this is my body. This temple that you're looking at is really about, it's really about me. And then you can almost say what's done to the temple is going to be done to Jesus' body. And do you see how he overlaps those? Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're looking at the bricks and going, "Really? It took us a long time to build this. You think you can? You're a master builder in three days, Mike? You're going to build a house? No, that's going to take a lot longer." But Jesus, is like, no, 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 no. This is only external. What I'm talking about is in my my body. He's holding there a, a whip in the temple. But there's going to come a time, in not too distant future, that that a whip. It's going to strike the back of Jesus. That what purifies and cleanses the temple will, will actually be accepted by the sting of the whip on Jesus' own back. They they ask for a sign. How, how can you purify and cleanse the temple? And Jesus' response is really like, because you're going to see me beaten and whipped and crucified and then resurrected. And because of my resurrection, because I can purify the temple in my own body, he said, that's your sign. He's pointing us to the last and greatest sign. So we have the first sign in John of the water to wine, and we actually have a pointing to the last sign of Jesus' resurrection. He says, the reason that you can be purified and cleansed and forgiven is because my body will be broken for you. And then they respond in John 2 and verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Uh, He didn't entrust himself because they just saw the signs and not the reality of it. Uh, They saw the celebration. They saw the power. Uh, They didn't see that what this was ultimately pointing to was his his blood and his body spilt for us and and knew that there was going to be a difficult and, and difficult and bloody road to his own death. But he patiently gave him these signs along the way with humility inviting them to come and see. Well, this uh, this brings us to the challenge. Where where are you today? Uh, where have you uh, hold this shame or this guilt or this dirt, this addiction, this pain, this anger, whatever it is that you really can't hide, that's just spilling out, and you try to uh, do good things, uh, help others, uh, Ladies across the street or give money to... You try to clean yourself up, but you're never going to be satisfied. But through the blood and body of Jesus, he actually invites you into the wedding feast. The wedding feast of the Lamb, where there is more wine, aged wine, that's enough for everyone. Everyone can come. You're invited to the wedding feast to pick up the cup, And be forgiven and free. Jesus, he paid the price for your cleansing, for your freedom. He paid the price to remove your guilt and shame. You know, it's much like uh, the Old Testament sacrifices that they would have done on the Passover. When you come in, when when you're guilty of something, you would bring a sacrifice and you'd place your hand on that sacrifice. And you would say, I am guilty, but I'm transferring my shame, my guilt, the judgment onto this innocent animal. And then they would kill that animal. And Jesus says, in the same way as the Passover lamb, if you're feeling that sin and brokenness in you, Jesus says, just place your hand on, on me. I've taken, away, uh, I've taken away the judgment of your sin. I've taken it in my body, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, we heard Mrs. Pauling yell, boys, we were caught. We had nowhere to go. We couldn't sneak in. We were too dirty. So Ms. Pauling calls us all over to the side of their house where there's the garden hose, tells us all to strip down into our skivvies, and one by one washes us uh, completely off. Uh, well, completely off. We found mud in our ears in our places for a long time. <laughs> But there was still a price to be paid. We had ruined their garden. Uh, And so my parents ended up having to pay some, to say, hey, here's some money to help replant the garden. Uh, Mr. Pauling had to get out there and uh, retill the whole thing and re-put everything. There was a price to be paid. Uh, But both my dad and Mr. Pauling paid the price so that the children could be forgiven. Mr. Pauling doesn't still hold that over my head. My my dad doesn't still hold that over my head. He probably doesn't even remember it, (laughs) Uh, but I do. And and so it is with your Heavenly Father as well. He's paid the price. He's offering you forgiveness. Lord, uh, thank you so much for these stories. Thanks for the inspiration of uh, John, who by the Spirit, just, boy, just a beautifully way he crafted these so that we could know you. And Lord, if uh, there's anyone here today that needs forgiveness and to be cleansed, I pray that they would uh, give, their, give their life to you, Lord, that they would place their hand on you and say, I'm guilty, but I'm accepting the gift of Jesus so they can be forgiven, that, that your life could be counted on as their life, and your death could be counted on as their death, so they could be a whole new person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.